All right, hello, Christ community. Uh, greetings to our 15th Street campus and our West Campus, our traditions venue, as well as our friends in LaSalle and anyone who happens to be watching online. Great to be with you. So excited about all that God is doing at Christ community. Let me remind you that in two weeks, we are having a very special weekend. We will be celebrating our one-year anniversary of our For the City and Beyond vision. I'm really excited um, to share what's been happening this past year and to look ahead at this vision that God has given us. So mark your calendars, March 4th and 5th. You won't want to miss that. So I'm, I'm uh, sort of embarrassed to admit that I have a hearing problem. Um, a few years ago, I started to know, not just a listening problem, a hearing problem. I, I start, although I have that as well, but I started to notice some uh, ringing in my ears. And so when I went to the audiologist to do the hearing test, they discovered that I have some, some hearing loss in certain frequencies, which was very frustrating. Uh, one, because I'm too young for that. Um, and, and two, because I didn't listen to, you know, heavy metal music when I was growing up. You know, I liked Billy Joel and Neil Diamond, you know, in fairly low volumes. And so, so right now I'm kind of exploring different options, none of which I like very much. <clears throat> now, the good news is that I actually do now have a legitimate excuse when I tell Raylene that I didn't hear something she was saying to me. I have official medical proof. Yeah, she's not buying that. I know, just like you, she's not buying it. But one thing I have discovered in this, in this, um, this three-year journey, really, this journey with my hearing, is that hearing is a really important thing. When I can't hear the people around me, it negatively impacts my ability to connect with them. It impacts my relational world. I'm hearing is a big deal. Not only in our physical world, it is a huge deal in our spiritual lives. Some of us here find ourselves in a spiritual funk, you know, a, a growing apathy in our relationship with God. We feel sort of stuck spiritually or, or perhaps, you know, we're drifting in our relationship with God. One of the primary reasons for that could be this very issue. We're not hearing well, spiritually speaking. So how can we change that? If you have your Bible or, or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, where Jesus answers this question for us. He diagnoses our hearing problem, and then he shows us the solution. So let me read, I want to read this entire passage so we hear the whole thing, um, and let's just listen with an open heart, and then we're going to unpack it. <clears throat> While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. <clears throat> when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. <clears throat> this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. 
Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and put it into practice. This is God's word. Now, while there are three sections in the passage I just read, the point of the entire passage is very clear. Our spiritual growth is dependent upon how well we hear the word of God. Say that again with me, okay, out loud. Here we go. Our spiritual growth is dependent upon how well we hear the word of God. Now, Jesus uses a parable to drive home this point, a farmer who goes out to sow seed. Now, a a farmer in that day would sow seed by casting, have a bag, and he would cast uh, the seed out on the ground. And this seed, which represents the word of God, lands on four different kinds of soil. Each soil represents a particular heart. Three of them describe a heart that doesn't hear the word of God very well, and one describes a heart that does hear well, and the result is that it yields a huge crop. So I'd like to look, first of all, at the healthy heart. What kind of a heart do we need to have in order to hear well, in order to be transformed by God's word? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 15, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. So there there are a couple of key words that Jesus uses here that describe the kind of heart that hears God's word well. One is the word noble, a noble heart. Now this word, this particular word can also be translated honest which fits with the language a few verses later where Jesus speaks of everything being brought out into the open. So Jesus is describing here a heart that is open, that's not hiding. It's not protecting itself from God's word. It's not defensive about God's word. It is open to being shaped by and spoken to and corrected by God's word. So how do we know if our heart is open? Well, here's here's a question to, to, to think about this. When you read God's word, are you willing to be corrected? When you read God's word, are you willing to have your ideas contradicted? 
See, in his excellent book, uh, The Reason for God, uh, Pastor Tim Keller has a chapter addressing the skepticism of modern people that they have towards the, that many modern people have towards the Bible. And at the end of the chapter, he then poses this question. What, ha- what, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibilities and crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, you'll have a God of your own making and not a God with whom you can have a relationship. Only if your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle will you know you've gotten a hold of a real God and not a figment of your imagination. See, having an open heart to the Bible is essential if we want to know God, if we want to have a relationship with him, we want to, we want to be transformed by him. Otherwise, we just have a God of our own making where we're picking and choosing what we want to believe about him. <clears throat> the other aspect of, of this good heart that Jesus describes here is found in the word persevering. He says, by persevering, they produce a good crop. Now, this describes a heart that is continually seeking. It's what Jesus is referring to earlier when the disciples come to him and they ask the meaning of the parable. Remember, look at what he says here in verse 10. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that those seeing, they may not see. Though hearing, they may not understand. What is he saying here? What he's saying, and this is a bit troubling when, when you truly think about it. He's saying that he teaches in parables as a way to deliberately hide the truth from those who aren't really seeking truth. Rather than just laying out all the truth at the bottom shelf so anyone can understand it, rather than making the truth absolutely clear for anyone to understand, Jesus actually doesn't do that. He tells stories, parables, as a means of filtering out who is really seeking the truth and who isn't. So Jesus deliberately teaches in parables to determine who really wants to hear. That's why he teaches in parables, to see who's going to seek out the truth, who really wants to hear. So here's what we've learned so far. The key to us being on a a healthy, vibrant, vibrant growth path, spiritually speaking, is this. Hearing God's word with an open and seeking heart. That is a powerful combination. Like in chemistry class, you know, when you put two certain substances together and things really start happening, that's what's being described here. When the word of God, the Bible, combines with a heart that is open and seeking, watch out. (laughs) Watch out. See, that's when life-changing transformation begins happening. It's a powerful combination. So why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we consistently engage in the word of God in this way if we know the blessings and the benefit that come from that? Well, that's the question that Jesus answers in in, in his description of the other three soils. In these other three soils, we vividly see the kind of heart that will keep us from being transformed by scripture. All right, so let's look at these soils. 
and see if they apply to our lives. The first kind of soil Jesus describes is soil that has been walked on a lot. And because of that, it's really just become a path. It's a hard path. The ground is really hard. So instead of seed falling into soft soil, the seed that lands on the path, it just kind of stays on top of the hard ground. It gets, and it gets trampled on, and then the birds come along and they eat the seed. So what kind of heart is this referring to? It's referring to a hardened heart, a hardened heart. This is the polar opposite of the open heart we looked at earlier. This is a heart that is not open at all. So what causes a heart to be hardened like this? Well, Jesus tells us, look at verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path, it's the hard ground, are the ones who hear And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Notice what's happening in this person's heart. Whenever they hear any aspect of God's truth or any reference to the Bible, that truth is actually snatched up by the devil. And notice here, Jesus clearly believed in a literal devil talked about him all the time. He believed in a real devil who was actively working to thwart the impact of God's word in people's lives. So how does the devil do this? What's his strategy? He's not terribly creative. He's used the same strategy for thousands of years. He lies. That's what he does. The devil lies. He whispers lies to people. And when we believe those lies, Our hearts become hard. So in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, he he says this. Look at these words. This is kind of amazing here. It's really frightening at some level. It says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. It's very vivid here. I I shouldn't have said frightening. We're not afraid of the devil. But this just shows what he's doing, his strategy with unbelievers. And this totally squares with the reality we see all around us. The gospel, I mean, think about this. The gospel is incredible news, right? That our sins can be forgiven, (laughs) that Jesus loves us and that he wants to live in us and he wants to transform our lives, giving us hope and joy and peace. I mean, and it's it's a free gift. I mean, you don't have to work for it. I mean, the gospel, think about it. The gospel is incredible news, So why is it that for so many people in our society, if we say anything about Jesus or about the Bible, they immediately put a wall up. They immediately shut down. They immediately close their heart. You can feel it. What is that? It's evidence of Satan's strategy. Fill people's minds with lies about who God is and what God really wants. Focus their hearts on negative assumptions about the Bible and about Christianity and about Christians in general so they don't don't even consider the possibility of it being true. And they miss out on the gospel. I mean, this is our society right now, that this pervasive closed-mindedness toward exploring the claims of Jesus. 
I mean, any, in, in our society, any other exploration of spiritual things is, is welcome. It's cool. It's in vogue. Oh, yeah. Explore Scientology. Absolutely. Oh, check out Buddhism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Or Reiki or whatever. Oh, yeah. Check out these things. These are all wonderful things. But Christianity, what are you thinking, you closed-minded bigot? I mean, seriously, Christianity? I mean, it would almost be humorous if the stakes weren't so high. Because it is so obvious. It is so obvious what Satan is doing. It's so obvious that Satan is using deception to keep people from even just honestly exploring the claims of Jesus and exploring the offer of the gospel. So does that describe you, perhaps? Maybe you're sitting here in church because your parents made you come or because your girlfriend is really interested in this. But your heart is hardened because of, all, because of, of certain negative assumptions that you have about Christianity, about the Bible, things you've been told or read or saw on the History Channel or whatever, but you have these negative assumptions about the Bible. Are you willing to recognize what's happening and to at least explore this Jesus for yourself? I urge you to do that because there is a whole lot at stake. Don't let Satan snatch the truth from your heart. Okay, the second soil that Jesus mentions is rocky soil. Now, it contains rock under the surface and, and the initial layer of soil. So the, the, there's a layer of soil, but then there's rock under the surface. And so the plant initially comes up, but then it withers, Jesus says, because it has no moisture. There's no way for the roots to go down deep and connect with moisture. So what kind of heart is this soil describing? Well, Jesus tells us, verse 13, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Now, this is a person who initially receives the word with joy and believes. These are, those are both words of salvation, clearly. So they receive the word with joy and they believe. But something happens along the way in their spiritual journey. What happens is they experience a time of testing. The word used here refers to a season of adversity, of difficulty. Maybe their friends hear about their faith in Jesus and they start to make fun of them. Or perhaps their boyfriend or their spouse starts to grow concerned about how serious they're taking this Jesus stuff, right? Or maybe they lose their job or they don't get the scholarship they were hoping for and suddenly they begin to wonder, what's the use? I mean, I'm trying to follow God and this is what I get for it. Suddenly, in the midst of this adversity... This person's faith becomes less important. It becomes less passionate. And this is what I would describe as a fickle heart. First was a hardened heart. This is a fickle heart. This is a person whose faith in God is dependent upon their circumstances. And when those circumstances become difficult, they fall away from their, their faith, their passionate faith. Now, now, some people believe that Jesus is talking here about losing your salvation. I don't believe that. It's okay, we can agree to disagree, but I don't agree that. I don't, I don't believe that. I believe that since our salvation is completely dependent upon Jesus' work on the cross, there is nothing we can do to lose that. Someone who is genuinely saved, in my perspective, is always saved. They're genuinely saved. They're always saved, no matter what. So if that's the case, 
What does this person fall away from? Well, they, they fall away. They, they miss out on the fullness of life God has for them. The, the fruitfulness, the blessing that come from living by faith, the peace and the joy and the intimacy with God and the sense of purpose in their lives, they miss out on the fruitful life that God desires for them. So let me just ask, does this soil describe you? Are you letting Jesus really sink in or is your interest in him dependent upon how well your life is going? Are the teasing comments of some friends or the experience of adversity, are those things causing you to kind of back off a little bit, to, to cool down your initial passion for Jesus? If you do that, if you do that, you are missing out on a critical opportunity for your faith to grow for your faith in Jesus to grow deeper. The third soil Jesus describes is a soil that's filled with thorns and with weeds. Now, these weeds, they grow up with the plants, and they end up choking them out. That's the critical part of understanding this soil. So what does this soil represent? Verse 14, the seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, <clears throat> but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. So Jesus is describing a person who sincerely receives the truth of the gospel. They're genuinely saved. They sincerely receive it. But as life happens, as life kind of happens, they become distracted by various things, and their faith doesn't grow. Their faith in Jesus doesn't grow. They become spiritually stagnant. So Jesus is describing here a distracted heart, a distracted heart, a heart that loves Jesus, but over time, other things begin to choke out that love and that passion. So what are those other things? Well, Jesus specifically mentions three that couldn't be more spot on for us as believers in America. These are spot on. The first is life's worries. He says life's, they're choked out by life's worries. Now there are, there are plenty of things to be worried about in our culture and our world, right? In terms of the economy, in terms of terrorism and wars and conflict, all that stuff. So, so I understand the worry that's being expressed in social media and news websites and all that. But what I don't understand is why we as Christians seem to be just as worried as everyone else. I don't get that. We personally know the God of the universe. We know him personally. The very spirit of Jesus lives in us. Jesus promises to take care of us and to provide for us. Why then are we so worried? Why are we so fearful? Now, I don't know the answer to that specific question, but here's what I do know. I do know the consequences of being worried and fearful. Live, living our lives as if God is not in control, which is kind of what worry is, right? Living our lives as if God is not in control will cause spiritual stagnation. We know that because Jesus says that. He says that. That's what worry does. It chokes out our relationship with God, right? It chokes out 
our spiritual life. What, what's happening is we're placing our faith in other things rather than God. And that is a, folks, that is a recipe for spiritual stagnation. We desperately, we desperately, if you battle with worry, and so many of us do, it, we, we desperately need to have the word of God sink deeply into our souls so that his truth becomes more real to us than the news that we see around us. That's what we need. We need the word of God to sink more deeply into our souls so that that truth is more real to us than the news we're watching every night or reading in the newspaper or websites or whatever. Okay, the second thing Jesus says will choke out our love for Jesus is riches. Riches, our money. You know, we, and again, I'm just using the words of Jesus here. I'm not sort of throwing this in, you know, this is what he said, okay? We in America are in the top 1% of the richest people who have ever lived on this planet. And we are also some of the least generous people on the planet. Christians in America, Christians on average give 2.7% of their income away. 2.7. So we live on 97.3 or whatever. That, that stat alone should cause us to realize the truth of what Jesus is saying. We have so much, but we spend our lives trying to hang on to what we have and to obtain more. And we're never satisfied. We're never satisfied. Jesus says, this is not a budgeting problem. This is a spiritual problem. You cannot, we cannot love God and money at the same time. The love of money will, it will choke out our love and our devotion to God. That's what Jesus is saying here. It will choke it out. So we need, again, we need the truth of God's word to sink into these places where money is squeezing out our love for God. We need to listen to a different voice. We need to listen to the truth of God's word in those places where greed is taking hold. Third, Jesus says that pleasures will choke out our love for God. Again, this is just, I mean, this is just America, right? This is us. We, we as a society, we are addicted to pleasure. We spend our lives looking for things that will bring a high, a sense of, euph a sense of euphoria. And all it does is make us, make us a bunch of addicts. We're addicted to porn. We're addicted to video games. We're addicted to gambling. We're addicted to shopping. We're addicted to drugs. We're addicted to alcohol. I mean, on and on and on and on. We, we, even, though, even though we have all these opportunities, here's the irony, we have all the opportunities for pleasure, we're the most unhappy people to have ever lived. I mean, the, the rates of depression and suicide and despair and hopelessness are off the charts. They are as high as ever. And here's the, here's the real irony. True pleasure is not found in those things. True, and that's what our society is showing. True pleasure is found in a growing relationship with Jesus. Life and meaning and hope and joy. All the things we're searching for, they're found in Jesus. But as long as we have a distracted heart, we will miss the fullness of what God has in store for us. So does this soil describe you right now? Are you allowing worry or greed, or a quest for pleasure to choke the life out of your relationship with God. 
See, the answer to any of these three soils Jesus mentions, the hardened heart or the fickle heart or the distracted heart, the answer to each one is exactly the same. It is to begin consistently engaging in the word of God with an open and seeking heart, letting his word sink into our being. See, that engagement will expose the lies of the enemy and, 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 and replace them with truth. That engagement will strengthen our faith in the midst of adversity when people are teasing us and all that stuff. And that, that, that engagement is, will ignite in our hearts a greater love for Jesus that will squeeze out the worry and a greater trust in Jesus that will squeeze out the worry and the, and the greed and the lust that are ruining our lives. Now, we might think that in this passage, Jesus couldn't make this point any clearer than just the story he's telling. But he actually does. In the last three verses of the passage, we read about how while he was teaching, his mother and his brothers show up and they want to see him. And listen very carefully to Jesus' response. Look at this again. My, Jesus says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, this is astounding what he's saying here, because in that culture, family was everything. Family was everything. So Jesus takes that value of family and he raises the bar, right? Applying it to every one of us. He does not want us to miss this truth. Here's the truth. The most important catalytic thing that any of us can do to foster spiritual growth in our lives is hearing God's word and putting it into practice. That is the most important catalytic thing that any of us can do to foster spiritual growth in our lives. Hearing God's word, putting it into practice. In other words, engaging his word with an open and seeking heart. So how are we doing in this? For some of us, if we're honest, the word of God is not that significant a part of our life right now. Um, we may go to church, we may listen to multiple podcasts or whatever, but we're not earnestly seeking God in his word on our own, self-feeding, right? We're letting everyone else's insights feed us. We're not self-feeding. We're not personally engaging in scripture in a way that is transforming us into the people that we, we long to be. So how can we grow in this? How can we personally engage in scripture in the Bible in a, in a transformative way? Well, I want to get really practical here and, and share three critical elements to this, okay? Three, three critical ways to apply this. So first of all, make time for it, all right? Make time for it. Establish a regular routine where you're spending time alone with Jesus in the word. Now, I do this about four times a week, Early in the morning, early mornings work best for me because once the day gets going, you know, I'm checking email, I'm just, you know, and I just don't make time for it. So for me personally, that works. But for others of you, maybe another time works. And I understand life stage when you have young kids around, this is challenging. You know, I totally get that. But here's the deal. Find a time and ask Jesus to help you. Find a time that works for you and put it in the schedule as a regular appointment with Jesus, just like a, an appointment with coffee with a friend. You put it in your schedule. Make time for it. Don't just say, oh, it'll happen. I, I got all day free. It'll happen. No, put, put a time to it. Make time for it. The second critical issue is this. Have a plan. 
Have a plan. Have a plan for where in the Bible to read. You know, it can be kind of overwhelming to know where to start. The Bible is a big book, right? And there, there are a number of Bible reading plans that you can use. We have some information on our website under the resource tab, some, some Bible apps, Bible reading apps, and some other things that, that we recommend so you can look, you, that are some help things that you can look at under the resource tab on our website. But what I want to do for just a moment, I want to share what I have done for years, okay? This has worked for me for a long time. Now, if you don't have a plan that's working for you, you may want to try this. You can try it for a while. You can adapt it or whatever. But here's what, here's what I do, and I've done for a long time. I use the one-year Bible. <clears throat> the one-year Bible is a Bible that is divided um, up into 365 daily readings. So every day, there's an Old Testament reading. There's a New Testament reading. There's a psalm, a portion of a psalm, and a proverb. Now, I don't care about getting through the Bible in a year. I really don't. So I don't even care what the date is at the top of the page. I don't care about any of that. I'm not driven at all by trying to get through the Bible in a year. So on the days, because I know I don't, have a, I don't have a time with the Lord every day in this kind of intentional way. It's usually four or five times a week. So on the days when I'm having a personal time alone with God, I open up to where I left off in my one-year Bible, and I start reading there. Some days I'll go through the entire day's reading. Other days I'll just read something that stands out to me. I'll just read the psalm. It's standing out to me, and I just want to think about it. Or I'll just read the Old Testament reading or whatever, whatever, wherever I happen to be. What I love about this, personally, what I love about this is it gives me a plan. So every day I know where I will be engaging in Scripture. That can be overwhelming when every day you just go, okay, I'm spending time in the Word. Where do I start, you know? And, okay, I'll just open, you know, kind of a thing. That, over time, that can just be kind of demotivating when we don't have a plan. So I love the fact that I have a plan. The other thing that I love about this is that every day's reading includes the Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. Because I remember, I don't know if you can relate to this, if any of you tried this, but I remember as a young Christian saying, I'm going to read through the Bible. I've never, I'm going to read through the Bible, right? So we start, where do we start? In Genesis, right? And we start, and Genesis is pretty interesting, right? And Exodus is pretty interesting too. And then we get to Leviticus, right? And, 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 and Numbers and, and these genealogies. And I just found as I was doing that, I was just losing momentum, okay? I'm quickly disconnecting. I mean, some of the Old Testament, it, honestly, it's just hard to connect with. It's a different culture. It's hard to connect with. These genealogies that were so important to them, you know, they just, it's hard for us to understand what's going on there. So it's very easy to lose steam if you're just starting from the beginning and just plowing through. So the one-year Bible helps me, and, and it'll help you get consistent time in both the Old and New Testaments in the order in which they happen. So it's not skipping around. It's the order in which it happens. And what's cool for me is the fact that this is one thing that just blesses me is that over the course of a year and a half, that's about how long it takes me to go through the whole thing. Over the course of a year and a half or so, I am opening my heart to every word in Scripture. Every word in Scripture. I know over a period of 18 months, I am opening my heart to, to God speaking to me in some way from that. So if you don't have a plan where you're consistently engaging in the Bible, I encourage you to try the one-year Bible, but don't my personal recommendation, don't worry about the date, okay? Start at January 1st, even if you're starting, start January 1st, and then don't look at the date ever again. Just work your way through um, and put a bookmark, um, or if you, I use a Kindle, and so it automatically just stops, where I go right back where I was, but use a bookmark or whatever and just go to where you were last time. Don't feel guilty if you didn't get through a whole day's reading. It, that's not the goal. The goal is to engage in scripture regularly, and that's a plan that has worked um, for me. 
Um, so if you don't have a plan, I encourage you to try that plan. Um, it's worked really well for me for a number of years. Okay, so we've talked about making time for it. We've talked about having a plan for reading. The third critical element, personally engage. This is so important. Personally engage. What I mean by that is it's, this is not just about reading the Bible. You know, sometimes people, they read the Bible. Oh, I did my Bible reading. They read the Bible like they read the newspaper for information. You, 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 you're, you're not reading the Bible for information, okay? You're not primarily for information. You're reading the Bible so that God can speak to you personally. That's the key. Personally engage. It's not, oh, I got to get, I got 10 minutes. I got to get through this whole section here. No, no, no. Don't do it that way. <laughs> Read in a way that you can personally engage so that God can sow seeds into your heart and life. He can speak truth here. So how, how, how can we do that? Well, for a few weeks now, we've been talking about a tool that can help us in this regard. It's not the only way that we're just suggesting this, this may be helpful, but it's a simple method that anyone can use to personally engage in scripture. So it's the acronym SOAP, S-O-A-P. Maybe it's related to the idea of being washed in the word, right? Soap, being washed in the word, who knows? But whenever we read a passage in the Bible during our time with the Lord, and also when we're studying a passage in our e-groups, um, we can use this tool to engage it personally. So S-O-A-P. Um, and by the way, bookmarks are still available if you want to take these with you. We've created some bookmarks that you can keep in your Bible to remind you. But S stands for spirit. So before we read, and I always try to do this, Holy Spirit, speak to me from your word. Just speak to me. Because without the Spirit, we're just, again, we're just looking for information. And, and we don't want to do that. We, we want to, him to speak to us. So begin by asking the Spirit to speak. The O stands for observation. As we're reading, we're asking, okay, what does this passage mean? What is the main point the author is trying to get across? And, and this is important because sometimes too, we too quickly jump to application when it's helpful, I think, just to try to understand, okay, who's speaking here and what's, what's the author trying to say in that context? Okay, so the observation part's important. The A stands for application. So as we're seeking to understand, as we're reading the passage, then we want our hearts to be attentive to the Spirit and just asking Him, what are you saying to me in this passage? And often what happens for me I mean, regularly this happens. It's not this lightning bolt from heaven or whatever, but there's this, as I'm reading, there was something will just kind of stand out to me. There's a verse or a, an idea or a thought will just kind of stand out to me as I'm reading. And I, I feel like I'll, I'll know, I think the Lord's wanting to speak to me personally in that. There's something here for me. And the same thing will happen to you. I'm not saying every day it'll happen, but it will happen regularly if you're reading in this way and not just reading for information, reading in this way. So maybe there's a truth that God wants us to believe, like, oh yeah, he is with me. I'm gonna hang on to that today. God is with me. Or maybe there's a sin that we need to confess. And, and, and so we confess that. Just let God speak to you personally from his word. So personally engage in it. And the P then, S-O-A-P, the P stands for prayer. So at the end of the Bible reading time, take a moment and just ask God to help you grow in whatever truth he's kind of laid on your heart. Now for me, in my time with the Lord, and that, that usually takes, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or whatever, um, then in my time with the Lord, I will enter into a, my prayer time with him. 
and that's a whole other um, thing that I do there based on the Lord's Prayer. But that, you know, enters in, I enter into a time of prayer. So that kind of the word sort of launches me into a longer prayer time. But the P in the SOAP just stands for praying for what the Lord is speaking to you specifically about. Now, whatever method you use, whatever plan you use, the essential element is this. Are you regularly making time to personally engage in the Bible? Allowing the Spirit of God to transform you by the power of His Word. That one decision, that one decision will have a huge impact on the trajectory of your spiritual life. You won't regret it. You will never regret it. That one decision can be so powerful. So let's pray together. So I want you to just close your eyes, just to quiet your heart for a moment. And what I want to do here with our eyes closed, I want to read over you a beautiful, vivid passage from the Bible to help ignite in our hearts a desire for the word. So let your imagination kind of see this picture, okay? Just quiet your heart. This is the word of God. Blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Can you see that picture in your mind? A tree. And it's standing by a stream of water so that its roots are being nourished all year long. Its leaves never wither because it's by this stream. That's the life God invites you and me to enjoy. That's the spiritual growth path he intends for us. A life that is being fed by the word of God, nourished by that. So Father, I want to pray for that image to take root in our hearts and be a motivation for us. It's like, man, that's the kind of life I want. No matter what circumstances are going on, there is a stream feeding my soul, the stream of God's word feeding my soul. And I pray that for each of us, God, our hearts will be ignited to live that way to live that way where we're being regularly nourished by the word of God. And so I just want to ask you guys here, well, what next steps, and just in the quiet of your heart, what next steps is God wanting you to take to make this more of a reality in your life? And just sit in that for a moment. Is it to make time for this? You just haven't set aside a specific time and you're going to do that. You're going to set aside a time Maybe it's beginning once a week or three times a week, whatever works your schedule, but make it time. Have a plan. Whatever that looks like, God, just have a plan. And then personally engage. Lord, I just want to pray for us as we make time, as we have a plan, begin a plan, that we would personally engage 
we would read not in a hurry. We would read asking you to speak to us and you would speak to us from your word. And so I pray for that for each one of us that we would grow and that we would, our hearts would be good soil where your seed is, is going down deep and it is bearing fruit in the way we're responding to people, the way that our level of joy and peace. I just pray for that for all of us here, that your word would be going deeper and deeper as we personally engage. We want to be that kind of soil, Lord. So thank you for your word that transforms us. Thank you for what you're doing in us and what you're going to be doing in us as we personally engage in your word. We love you, God. So now thank you, God, for this opportunity to respond to your word with worship, opening our hearts to you in worship. So let's do that right now. Why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, why don't you stand? And Jesus, we ask you to set us free to worship you. We love you. We praise you, God. We fix our eyes on you.